I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Welcome to our study on the fourfold gospel. There's a link in the show notes to the lesson book that we're working through together. Basically, this study looks at all four gospel accounts together, and there are some questions we work through to guide us in our study. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's start with a word of prayer. Almighty God in heaven, we're thankful for this day that you've allowed us to come to class here and to the assembly, that we can uh, encourage one another and glorify you. We pray that you'd be with us in our study here of the Gospels, that uh, we would um, learn more things about about Christ and and, uh, also to uh, solidify some things we already know and and to have a more comprehensive understanding so that we can be more devoted to you and uh, be brighter lights in the community to share share the Gospel with others. We're prayerful for all those on our list. Uh, Help us, Father, in our study to understand these things the way you intend. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I, uh, as we begin our book, we sort of began to introduce this, these big yellow uh, workbooks are covering the fourfold gospel, a, a chronological study of the life of Jesus, <clears throat> and it uh, sort of relates to a book called the fourfold gospel that probably none of us have. <laughs> um, I seem to have lost, the, I think, two copies that I had, that my dad gave me or something over the years. Uh, but there's a, it's an online book, and I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share a slide of what it looks like just so you can get a sense of what it is. I don't, it's not important that we, that we have that book. Basically, it just covers the Gospels, and there's commentary interspersed in there. <coughs> but that's sort of, the, I think, the inspiration for the gentleman to put this workbook together, to look at all four Gospels together. And so I had uh, some things I wanted to share uh, by way of introduction. So in our, in our books, we have those, in our, in our uh, workbooks, like page three and four and five and six and seven, give little introductions to, to the gospel. So, of course, as we're trying to look at the, the composite gospel story of looking at all four of those accounts, uh, the author of this workbook took, took some time to, to, to think about the uniqueness of each of those accounts. And talking about the authors and the message and some things that are exclusive, you know, what, are, what is only in Matthew and what is only in John. Of course, when we think about John, he's the one that's different, right? We talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke as being the synoptic gospels, which is to say we're looking at them at the same time because they, they track well together. They cover a lot of the same material. And then John has a, a different focus, a very much different focus, and he focuses a, a lot more on the the later events um, in Jesus' ministry and, and covers a great many stories that aren't in the others. So anyway, I hope you read through that. I'm not going to read through that, but I'm, I was just going to sort of pluck some, some thoughts uh, and, and also some things that maybe aren't in there just to, just to think about. So, you know, one question we might ask is why, why are these different? Or, or maybe we would ask, are they different? Of course, they, they're, there's different texts. There's different people that write these things. But, uh, you know, some might be troubled to think, are they, are they contradictory or something like this? And, and I, I, I don't think that's what we should understand. I don't think that is true. 
But of course, some people get, get upset about some of these things, and we want to kind of think, think through um, these, these differences and what they mean. Of course, they're, they're written from different perspectives. If we have a different witness of different events, you know, maybe a car accident, you know, so say five of us saw a car accident, but we were standing in different places, we might have different things to say about that, about that car accident, based on where we were standing and based on our background and all sorts of things, why we might say those things differently. And none of these gospel accounts are what we would think of, you know, whatever news outlet we think of, CNN or Fox News or NPR or whatever, you know, which we would hope, if those news outlets were honest, that they would be reporting just the facts and this sort of thing. But of course, even news outlets, a lot of times, saying those names maybe would wrap up um, biases and those sorts of things. So uh, certainly the gospel accounts are, are they're persuasive writings. They have a theological purpose, and they're not just uh, a recording of, uh, it's not like a stenographer taking notes and here's exactly what happened at each second of things. So let's think about Matthew's gospel. Again, that'd be in page uh, three, uh, but I'm not really going to go through it, as I said. But if we think about the purpose, I think the first verse in Matthew kind of speaks to that. And his, it begins with a genealogy, and it says there, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. You know, if we think about what's, what's said there. in the Messiah, of course, in the Old Testament, of course, written in Hebrew, using that word Messiah, uh, is the same as the word Christ, which is the Greek, and then... We speak English, so we would, if we were going to understand what those words mean, we would say anointed. So we're talking about a king. So in the ancient times, they would have put oil. Someone would anoint the king and say, you are the king, and, and they would be anointed. So when we talk about this uh, Messiah, Christ, anointed, we're talking about the kingship of Jesus. One of the focuses we have in Matthew in particular is the fulfilling of, of prophecies. So referring to the Messiah is certainly a, a, a focal point. But if we, I did a, a little report uh, looking at just the Gospel of Matthew and with these key words of fulfill and if these things were written by the prophet or spoken by the prophet and got this, this big list that just really goes through the whole book. You know, Now all this, was, all this took place to fulfill that was spoken uh, by the Lord through the prophet. That sort of phrase is used again and again. And then it'll quote from the Old Testament uh, scripture that it's fulfilling there. And, and uh, all four Gospels do this, but Matthew does it more. It's a focus for Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and Matthew quotes, even aside from these, such and such to fulfill. I mean, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more, even, even more broadly than what we're saying here. So bear that in mind. <clears throat> Thinking about Mark's Gospel, if we think about the purpose of Mark's Gospel, again, look at the first verse the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, we think about uh, the gospel. We maybe haven't talked about that. That means the good news. What's the good news? Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is that there is a perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice has been made to pay the price for our sins, and we can take hold of that free life, that, that free gift. And so uh, Jesus is the good news in, in what he has offered us. You know, what's the source material for Mark's gospel? Well, we believe these are inspired writings. So the Holy Spirit is the source material. Um, one thing to mention is, is that none of these gospels actually 
unlike Paul's letters, he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the church at Corinth, you know, Paul in his writing itself, he's, he's actually identifying himself as the author. But these, these gospel writings actually don't do that. And you might say, well, but the, my Bible, it says the gospel according to Luke or, or Mark or whatever. And that title is not, is not part of the, the text that was transferred to us. So we could say that they're um, anonymous, but, but yet very, very early tradition recorded and people understood who these were written by. And so that's sort of what this is a reference to from AD 100. And you think, you know, Jesus died around AD 33 and um, the book of Revelation, we just got through studying. We were talking about like AD 96 or something like this. So just a few years after that, uh, this, this man, and this is not an inspired writing, but just a man around that time named Papias was said uh, that there's a reference to perhaps Mark's, uh, Mark's gospel was uh, referring to some things that Peter had said. First, concerning the composition of Mark, Papias writes that Mark became an interpreter of Peter and wrote down accurately the things said or done by the Lord. And so, that's not from the Bible, but keep that in mind. Uh, you might encounter that or, or have questions about that. Thinking about Luke's gospel, the purpose of Luke's gospel, again, the beginning of, of that account, I think, speaks to that. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So we see here that Luke is intending to give a detailed and organized account of what happened with Jesus, and it's for Theophilus. Uh, maybe, maybe Theophilus has commissioned this to be written, or maybe uh, Luke is a good friend of Theophilus and is concerned for him. You know, maybe Theophilus is a leader in a church and wants them to have this, this information to help establish the church. You would kind of have to read into that, but it does mention that it's uh, to Theophilus. And the purpose is to have certainty, to have certainty about these things that, were, uh, that have been taught about Christ. So perhaps there, were, there was confusion or, or, or conflicting stories, and that certainly fits with the things. You know, all the letters Paul wrote is sort of addressing uh, things that maybe were in error. So perhaps this, this was written in, in order to, to establish the, the, the truth about these things so that error and, and rumors and that sort of thing wouldn't, wouldn't rule the day. And it's kind of interesting to think, you know, these, these are theological writings. Uh, they're not uh, a reporter like we were talking about. But, but Luke, above others, really does sort of take the perspective of a historian, which maybe uh, in our culture, our Western culture, uh, more modern thinking, that might kind of, uh, this might relate to us a little better than some of the other perspectives. And Luke is also thought to be a Gentile, uh, the only that would be the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. And of course, also think about Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then Acts, Luke part two. So just bear that in mind. That's not part of our harmony study, of course, but just thinking about how this all fits together. So he refers to 
you know, many have undertaken to compile a narrative and there's all these eyewitnesses and ministers and how he followed all these things closely and he seemed good to him also to create an account. It seems to be that Mark is, uh, is looking at some of these other, other things. You know, we would look at Mark's gospel and if you compare Mark to Matthew and Luke, 90% of what's written in Mark is also included in um, Luke and Matthew. And so perhaps Mark is one of these many that he's referring to uh, as, as, as part of these, uh, the source material. Again, it's inspired by God, but there was material out there. And so it would make sense to think that those things would be consulted. John's gospel. What's the purpose of John's gospel? Now, unlike the other guys, you got to go to chapter 20 instead of right at the beginning. Go to chapter 20, verse 30. What's, what's John's point? Therefore, many other signs, of course, John uniquely refers to the miracles of Jesus as signs because they were the purpose of those miracles. Those signs was to signify and to prove uh, the, the point that Jesus is God. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John tends to use more sweeping themes in his writing. Um, talks about these signs instead of miracles that, that make a point to prove to prove things about Jesus. Uh, 90% of the material in, in John is unique to John and not part of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Notably, there's no parables. You know, we, think, we always think about Jesus and the parables. He said, well, John doesn't include any of those in, in his focused message here. And, and right here in this verse, we have some keys to John, this idea of signs to prove things about Jesus the importance of believing, belief, faith, and then this idea of life, everlasting life, and these sorts of ideas. John teaches us that Jesus is God. And, and when we talk about God, we go back to the Old Testament and think about you know, Jehovah God, or a lot of times in our Old Testament, It'll, it'll sometimes say the Lord, and then the Lord is in all caps. Different Bibles will handle that differently. But there's a special name that's unique to, to the God of Israel that's, that's used there. And so, you know, and that gets started. That's introduced to us in Exodus uh, chapter 3, where Moses, the whole thing with the burning bush, and he's being commissioned to go back to Egypt to, to let the people go and all that. And he's like, well, what am, what am I going to, who am I going to say sending me, you know? And, and so... There he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am, which sounds like, well, what, what is that? What does that mean? And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That doesn't sound like good English, right? That's like, like grammar. He, his saying his name is I am, which is to say, you know, I, I was born in 1974 and I'm going to die someday. I am living today, but I mean, when God says I am, he's sort of stepping back from time and just like, I exist. I am the one who, who was and who is and who is to come as we see in Revelation. He's speaking to his eternal nature here. He just is, he exists. We would say of God, he exists always. 
So we see that sort of language there. And so when Jesus in John says in John 8, 57 and 58, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Again, that doesn't really feel like good language there. But, but Jesus isn't making a grammatical sentence. He's saying, I am the God of Israel. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh from the Old Testament. And they understood what he meant. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They, they wanted to stone him because he understood he was claiming to be God. Okay. So if we think about um, these differences in, in the, the Gospels, we might see variations in what look to be the same account, but Jesus is saying different things. You know, here in uh, Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 5, where uh, Jesus is, is calling these disciples, we see in Matthew where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We see in Mark, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Well, a slight difference, but okay. And then in, in Luke 5, do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. Well, where's the fishers part, right? Well, you know, is there a difference in meaning here? Uh, was Jesus ad addressing the statement to Simon and Andrew or just Simon? You know, if we look more closely at these accounts, we'll see that difference among these. Are these even exactly the same event or, or did these, you know, some of these times are um, recounting similar but different events? I would think these are kind of the same event, but... But these are the kind of questions we might ask as we look at these things. And so my, my point would be, uh, don't be troubled by this. Uh, we're, we're looking to do an overview of these things. We don't want to get hung up, hung up in these questions, but yet we do want to recognize these differences. And some things to remember about this sort of thing. You know, Jesus was probably speaking Aramaic. And if you saw the movie uh, that Mel Gibson put out some years ago called The Passion of the Christ... That was uh, all subtitled because he had the people speaking principally in Aramaic and Latin and different languages that were from the time. Um, and that, that's probably a, a fair, you know, the use of that language is probably an accurate way to think about that. That was the language that the Jews spoke in the first century. And so we even see in our Bibles, in these gospel accounts, that Jesus' Aramaic words are preserved for us from sometimes and Maybe there's an interesting sermon in there about why were these specific ones uh, shared and, and stored and presented in that way. But like in Mark 5, we have uh, where he raised the little girl from the dead. We had, he said to her, Talitha kumi, and then translated, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Uh, Mark 15, of course, on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means in Greek, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And so it's making it pretty clear that Jesus is speaking a different language. So point in saying that is the writers of the gospel are, are principally giving us a Greek translation of what Jesus said rather than the word-for-word -word thing. So if we see these differences, well, we, we probably use different English translations as well, and we see differences in we shouldn't freak out about that. I mean, there's different ways to translate words, and hopefully they have the same meaning and are faithful, and we may, you know, we may have to focus on that sometimes, but, but there are different words that can be used. And so that's, that kind of accounts for a lot of this stuff. 
And in the big picture, we're blessed to have multiple witnesses of the life of Christ and the messages that these, uh, these accounts give us. And these witnesses agree. They, they're teaching the same thing about Christ. It's the same, the same Jesus, the same overarching message. Now, the book we don't have, this fourfold gospel book that, that inspired this, this workbook to be written, I just grabbed a little, a little page from it just to get a sense of what it's like in case anyone's interested to look at it. Because it is free online if you wanted to look at it. Um, this, this little shot here is from the feeding of the 5,000, which is from Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. So I grabbed this one because that's actually one that's it's in all four. So this book uses the American Standard Version text, which I think I had mentioned earlier. I thought it was the King James Version text. So it still uses the older archaic language, but it's the 1901 update, not from 1611. And then there's commentary in there. And then you'll notice these little keys that the, if you read the book, it kind of tells you if there's a little A, then it's Matthew. If it's a little B, it's Mark and so on. And so if you can see that on the screen, that first verse at the top where it's bold, uh, verse 16, there's an A. And so that's referring. This part's from Matthew. But Jesus said unto them, they have no need to go away. And then D, we're John now. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude cometh to him, saith unto Philip, Whence are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove, to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred shillings worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone may take a little. And then there's some commentary here. And then verse 37 of B, which would be, which would be Mark. Uh, but he answered and said to them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 shillings worth of bread and give them to eat? And then there's this commentary about shillings and denarius and all that. So that's just, we're not studying the feeding of the 5,000 right now, just to give a sense of what that book's about. So, Okay, so page eight is where our text begins. Lesson one, Christ's life prior to his ministry. And this little section, this first part, life's preface and dedication and John's introduction, uh, the questions here actually uh, focus really on, on John. So we already read Luke's part. That's where he talked about the other accounts, and so he decided to write an account. But John 1, 1 through 18, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which cometh into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has, he has explained him. Okay. So, our questions here. Number one, where was Jesus in the beginning? He was with God. Yeah. But, but it says, the Word was with God. So what are you saying? It's the Word. <laughs> yeah, right. As you read through the thing, you know, down in verse 14, it starts to all come together. So, yeah, Jesus was in the, the beginning with God. All right? And this idea of, of the Word, logos, the reason, and speech. So, you know, if we go back to Genesis 1 and God spoke these things uh, into existence, we, we, we can understand Jesus, his involvement in creation in Genesis 1 as well. Okay? Which I guess I'm getting into the second question. What, what part did Jesus have in the creation? What does it say here in John? And then verse, verse 10 also, uh, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. And we can look at other passages like Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 to see uh, other accounts of saying that Jesus was involved in the creation. Okay? Right there and in Colossians 1 as well, uh, 1.16, I just referred to it, which read it. For, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And then Hebrews, uh, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So we see multiple uh, references to Jesus' role in creation. And, and that's something kind of new for me. I, I, I never understood that growing up. And as I'm studying this more, it's like, oh, well, it's pretty clear. But uh, it's not clear till you, till you read it, I guess. Number three, for what purpose was John the Baptist sent from God? To prepare the way for, for Jesus, right? So then in verse seven, it, it says that he came as a witness to testify about the light. Again, using these you know, references to Jesus as the light. Number four, of whom is it said, quote, he was in the world and the world did not know him. And why was this said about him? Who was in the world? Was it Jesus? Yeah, not John the Baptist, right? Jesus, talking about how Jesus came into the world and was rejected, right? Okay. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Uh, Verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, right? So why was this said about him? Why was he not known? course, he was in the form of man, but he was rejected by man, right? That's the idea here. 
So I'm trying to do a better job of stopping class to give time for us to start at <laughs> uh, the right time. So why don't we go ahead and stop there. And we'll pick up Lord Willing at uh, question five next time. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.